0: Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins to God, our God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and strengthen us in everlasting life. Friends, let us confess to God and before one another our sins. Merciful God, we confess how hard it is to be like Jesus, how difficult it is to truly love the people around us, to care as deeply for their well-being as for our own, to delight in their good fortune without feeling envious. How often we act out of our own self-interest, putting our desires ahead of the needs of others, hoarding our resources rather than sharing them freely. It is easy to do what we know is wrong, to rationalize our bad decisions and behaviors, and make excuses for our hurtful words and actions. It is hard to love our enemies, Pray for their well being and act in their best interests. Forgive us. Teach us to wholeheartedly love and listen to one another with generosity and compassion.
1: Let us pray. O gracious God and most merciful God, you have given us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit that it may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up into the perfect building of Christ and to increase us in all heavenly virtues. Grant this, For the same Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, so, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Our second scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Hear now the word of God. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt to you. Why do you see the splinter in your brother's or sister's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You deceive yourself. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. Don't give holy things to dogs, and don't throw your pearls in front of pigs. They will stomp on the pearls, then turn around and attack you. Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you, for everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Who among you will give your children a stone when they ask for bread, or give them a snake when they ask for fish? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, you should treat people in the same way that you want people to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Falling in love is one of the most awesome and unsettling experiences we can have in this life. When it happens to two people, it is good fortune, kismet, fate, God's will. But science? Maybe you heard of a recent New York Times article, to fall in love with anyone, do this. It is based on the proven research of psychologist Arthur Aaron, who developed a way to accelerate intimacy between strangers. You take a specific set of 36 questions, go through them with a stranger or someone you might want to be in love with, face to face, not on email. And at the end, you are very likely to be in love. The questions make two people have, quote, sustained, escalating, reciprocal, personal self-disclosure. And by being increasingly probing, the conversation between two people goes deep quickly. Well, as you can imagine, this article went viral. And yes, there is now an app for that. (laughs) You can download the 36 questions right onto your phone so that you can whip them out on your first date with the woman you met on Match.com. Dr. Aaron proved that we get very close, even to strangers, through being vulnerable. But that's not easy. While we like to protect the self, these questions force you into it. They range from the silly, when did you last sing to yourself or someone else, to deeper thoughts, for what in your life are you most grateful. By question number 33, you are pushed into unchartered territory. If you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone, what would you most regret not having told someone? Why haven't you told them? And at the end of all the questions, you must stare into your potential love's eyes for four minutes. Vulnerability. Forced intimacy. As for falling in love, it's not a bad exercise. You have to really listen to someone while someone truly listens to you. There are risks. You may not fall in love, but you will allow yourself to be known. Now, staying in love, who wouldn't want an app for that? (laughs) As we've been talking about all summer, the world needs love. The world needs to fall in love. The world needs to fall into compassion. Love for those around us, especially those unlike us. Maybe we can do it by using a mere 12 steps. Or perhaps we could create our own 36 questions that would make us fall into compassion with people. Imagine yourself sitting down with an Islamic fundamentalist and working through 36 questions. What would those questions be? Or picture a Democrat sitting in the kitchen with a Trump supporter wearing a locker up button and answering 36 questions, then staring into their eyes for four minutes. <laughs> what would they see? Could Newt Gingrich sit across the table from Debbie Wasserman Schultz or Kazir Khan as he holds his copy of the Constitution and answer questions to probe underneath all the labels and the publicly traded personas? Or maybe we as Christians can just lead the way by being, well, Christian. People of faith are to listen differently. For we are once called to understand and love people with positions different from our own, to show them compassion when they cherish views that may shock us. We must refuse to be condescending to people who espouse ideas that we consider either primitive or just plain dangerous. Our God helps us to listen and share with the brother or sister who does not have a faith to call home and to lovingly embrace that cousin at our Thanksgiving table who belittles the role of the church in this world. Christ calls us to find a way to accept people more fully, working with them with the help of the Holy Spirit to repair this ever-broken world. That is who we are to be. That is who we must be. Step eight in our First Press Reads book, Twelve Steps to a Compassionate Life, is how should we speak to one another? To become more compassionate, we have to speak and listen to one another by being mutually vulnerable, following Dr. Aaron's logic. Understand what has formed people, and you will be able to be compassionate towards them. A Pew Research study showed that of people who changed their minds on same-gender marriage, 32% of them did so because someone they know personally is gay or lesbian when we learn one another's stories, when we are honest and human with one another, we begin we begin to replace disagreement with tolerance, divisive judgment with acceptance, and violence with compassion. The Hands of Peace program in Glenview, Illinois started after 9-11, and it brings together American high school students with those from the Middle East who are in conflict with one another. For three weeks, they meet in Chicago for daily dialogue sessions, team building, and educational opportunities. The teenagers come because they feel others don't understand their lives, and for the vast majority, this is their very first time having a conversation with someone from the other side. A Palestinian teenager talks about how checkpoints have made his life miserable because he cannot get to school on time, and how his aunt died because she couldn't get to the hospital. An Israeli team turns around and says, but you don't know the stress in our lives from the rockets coming in from Gaza. Through listening and talking, they find a way forward as people who come to care about one another. Tweets and shouts are replaced with real dialogue. This program is healing at a time where there is so much hating. We share our views, our stories, and from where we have come, But author Karen Armstrong has the audacity to take one more important step by asking us to apply the principle of charity. Here, we listen to what others say, and we believe them to be rational. We choose to consider the best interpretation of their words. We choose. And if we want to understand others, whether we like it or not, we must count them as right in most matters. Now, my previous work as a marriage counselor has not convinced me this happens very often. (laughs) Ask yourself how many people in your work, in your home, in your family, do you count as right in most matters? Yet Armstrong pushes us to consider whether we can bring ourselves to talk to people holding opposite opinions from ours, assuming they are right. The book Mountains Beyond Mountains introduced Paul Farmer's way of coming to people with a hermeneutic of generosity. Much like the principle of charity, this hermeneutic hermeneutic is a fancy way of saying that when we meet people, we evaluate their actions assuming this one thing, that their motives are good, even if at first glance we might suspect the opposite. To meet people different from you and apply the principle of charity assuming they are right or the hermeneutic of generosity assuming they have good intentions is hard work and if i'm honest with you i'm not a big enough person the ability to talk and listen to one another is quite doable but to enter into discussions thinking i'm probably wrong to have all your years of well-formed views on everything from capital punishment to the virgin birth, your PhDs and your MDs and your continuing education credits, years of engaging and reading and being thoughtful and knowing your own self, and then to sit down every time ready to learn something new and maybe see something a different way? Armstrong understands our context, so she knows how hard this is. We have been raised to know our case and make it. Mutual dialogue is lovely, but we value competitive debates where someone can win. Attack and counterattack is way more fun. The free maze and blue spring football game attracts 40,000 U of M fans, but the regular opening season game in a few weeks will welcome 115,000 because we like real competition. We will bully, display our ego, puff up our chest, even humiliate one another if needed. We sit down at table with someone different from us with no intention to ever change our mind, but hopefully to be clear in our points, to listen generously without a smirk on our face. Armstrong understands, but she does not give us a pass compassion requires us to know why people feel the way they do so that we can imagine ourselves if we were in a similar circumstance feeling the same. The author M. Scott Peck put flesh on this. Quote, consider consider the literal meaning of the word understand to stand under. To understand someone in any depth whatsoever you must be willing to stand under that person that is at least temporarily to put her in authority over you. Wait, I'm a man. Do you mean I should put a woman in authority over me? I'm heterosexual. Should I place a gay person in the position of being my boss? I'm a parent. Should I hand over the reins to my children? I'm a successful man. Are you asking me to look up to a homeless person? Yes, Peck says. These are the things I am asking you. It takes time and mental effort to wonder what it's like to be a woman, to entertain the possibility of being gay, to remember the burdens of being a child, to play house in the shoes of someone who is homeless. Consider the possibility that the person may be wiser than you. Think about it, unquote. Well, the Apostle Paul talked about these ideas long before Armstrong or Peck, He, of course, was dealing with the community of the early church, a group of inexperienced people trying to be faithful, and there were many, many differences between them. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans finds him trying to reassure them that God's justifying grace is extended to all of them, Jews and Gentiles alike. And knowing that, believing that, then they can move to the next step, living compassionately together and he is their guide in how they are to treat one another. Though his words might appear to be a bunch of random bumper stickers or a few catchy slogans, Paul is carefully laying out what it is to be a church striving together to reflect love and Jesus in their relationships. So the imperatives that Marty read in this chapter correspond to four circles of relationships that we as Christians have. Relationships first within our own community, those here at church and in our committee meetings, those who inspire us and those who irritate us. Then hospitality to the saints and strangers, giving and loving the Christian community beyond these walls, and then to our enemies, those who would seek to destroy Christianity and tarnish the integrity of the Christian faith. And finally, how we are to live peacefully with everyone, no matter what their relationship to us. What Armstrong advocates is implicit in what Paul is saying. We have to understand where people are coming from because we, before we can live and work together. Rejoice with those who rejoice, he said. Well, you have to know the people around you and what they are feeling before you can rejoice or weep with them. Live in harmony with one another, he said. That's a call to know one another deeply. Letting others be who they are with their own experiences and feelings. Do not think you are wiser than anyone else, he said, a very direct challenge to all the views and thoughts and opinions that you are holding dear to right at this moment. To live peaceably with all so far as it depends upon you, well, you must know what depends upon you and you must understand your own context, your own context as well. Now, we Protestants get context. We are the faithful who believe that to truly understand a passage from the Bible, to know what it is supposed to mean for us today, we have to know what it meant for them at the time it was written. We have to know the context out of which upsetting scriptures come. Scriptures like, don't let women speak in church, or whoever spares the rod hates his son. The context facilitates our making sense of that. So it should be easy for us Protestants to apply this same understanding of context-seeking to our life together. Some among us have done it quite well. A former campus minister at this church 20 years ago challenged students to do something about embracing of this context. Many of you will remember Reverend Amy Morrison-Heinrich. She developed an impressive program here called Interfaith Dialogues, For eight weeks in the fall and then eight weeks in the spring, participants of different faiths would be assigned to a group of four people of the same gender. Each group had a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu, and a Muslim. For eight weeks, they used a guide that she prepared to get them at things as deep as the 36 questions. Nothing could have prepared our university students to know how to speak to one another and how to truly listen than those 16 weeks it changed these men and women's lives and as i remembered that program i've been wondering if in today's political season that is all too defined by hateful rhetoric what would happen if we started interpolitical dialogue groups if we brought together a far right conservative a staunch libertarian a flaming liberal and a dispassionate independent each week for 2 hours to share about who they are the experiences of their lives that shape their views. So we get it. We need to be compassionate, loving, open-minded. We need to walk in another's shoes, hear one another's stories. We need to make every effort at the principle of charity. Nicely done, Karen. We will work on this eighth step. However, there is one elephant in this big room of compassion that we have not talked about. Judgment. The truth is, we are still different. And we still make judgments about that. I find it so funny that Jesus says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. But he's all about making judgments. Don't give holy things to dogs and don't throw your pearls in front of the pigs. He says, Seconds later, how do you decide who are the dogs and the pigs? Because you make a judgment, Jesus. Jesus does not suspend judgment and neither do we, so let's get real. We're not going to give up making judgments about people or issues. But the key for Jesus is that we make unhypocritical judgments, that we come from a healthy place in our judgments, and that those judgments only lead us to treat one another the way we want to be treated. In fact, the passage from Paul that Marty read starts with, let love be genuine. In the Greek, is closer to let love be unhypocritical. Jesus and Paul named it. In this world of ours, we know that when we make a judgment about something, we have a choice to make. What do we do with it? Well, we know what we don't do with it. A few years ago, the creators of South Park included a drawing of the prophet Muhammad. The response of the fundamentalist Muslim pop. Was of course outraged because they believe images of the Prophet are, f- are forbidden. And in response, Americans were outraged. How dare they try to censor us, ask us not to draw the Prophet? A well known blogger wrote a piece Dear Muslims, why I am drawing Muhammad because go screw yourselves. And an event was held Everybody Draw Muhammad Day. We know that just a few years later, we witnessed the horrifying Charlie Ebdo massacre. People of God, we can at least lead the way on this. We can have our judgments, but we as people of faith are called to use those judgments wisely. Respecting where others are, we can be critical without being offensive, mean, or just plain stupid. Be aware of where your judgments come from, and for God's sake, use them in service to a better world, not a worse one. Have unhypocritical judgments and let your love for God and for yourself be so genuine and so unhypocritical. Your love for God's people be so real. Karen is calling us to be compassionate, that communication is the key, talking, listening, a new kind of dialogue, an open hand and heart ready to listen more than to speak, to being wrong, to being undecided because others have so much to teach us. Paul wrote, outdo one another in showing honor, not outdo one another in being right. We aren't here to be winners. In Tuesdays with Maury, Mitch Album shares a story from his beloved professor's life. It was 1979. There was a basketball game in the Brandeis Gym, and the team was doing well, and so the students begin to chant, we are number one, we are number one. Maury sat nearby quietly. He was puzzled by this cheer. And so at one point, in the midst of, we're number one, he rises and yells, what's wrong with being number two? (laughs) The students looked at him, they stopped their chanting, and he sat down smiling and triumphant in that Maury Schwartz kind of way. Well, friends, Maury is now up in heaven, watching a world woefully in need of falling in compassion, of falling in line with the 12th chapter of Romans, and of falling into the arms of a Jesus whose own story has so much to teach us. In the name of the
3: Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we pray for our hardened yet beautiful world. We pray for its jagged human borders, heated wars, starving children, impoverished nations, and ill populations, that in these troubles we may find a sense of healing and peace in you. We pray for those who, despite the fires of the world, provide a sense of calm, peace, love, and grace. We pray for the nurturers, the compassionate, the empathetic, those with the heart of care and the hands that heal, for they tread upon a path that is often the hardest to see and even more difficult to walk. Bless those who choose the path of your will and help the rest of us to follow it. We pray for the United States. Help us to find harmony with our brothers and sisters of all genders, sexual orientations, races, ethnicities, classes, ability levels, political preferences, and religions. We are blessed in our diversity but must work ever harder to both appreciate and live into the sense of welcome that our country initially claimed. We pray for our leaders, that their decisions will reflect not their own interests, but the evidence of your guidance and will. We also pray for our voters and our children. In this time of tension, we pray for civility, we pray for humility, and we pray for love. We pray for the church that our unity will only strengthen in faith and in Christ. We pray for this church body, Lord, be with us in our times of loss and trial. And as we begin to see the ends of summer and look forward to all the adventures that lay ahead this fall, may we remember that you are with us in all that we do. This morning, we hold in prayer all the children and young adults. That we'll be returning to school. We pray that our students return feeling renewed and rejuvenated to learn and grow. May they enter the season with anticipation, hope, and eagerness to embrace each day that you have given us. Lord, may we always seek you, no matter the twists and turns that we encounter in life. Help us to remember the power in the gift of faith and the goodness that lives within it. Loving God, grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. May your peace, which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray faithfully to you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.